Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host this week, Jared Sandler from 105.3 The Fan. want to thank you for waking up early with us and joining. Uh, Later on this hour, we're going to talk about a charity that's helping provide programs to help families build financial success through their financial wellness opportunities and initiatives, as well as products, tools, and other resources. But we begin this hour with another amazing resource that we want to make you familiar with. Since 1937, the Dallas Bar Association has been serving and supporting the legal profession in Dallas, but uh, they also give a lot back to the community and joining us right now is their president, Robert Toby. Robert, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jared. Actually, you know, the Dallas Bar Association goes back to 1873. That's when it was founded. So we're coming up on 150 years here in a couple of years. So we're pretty excited about that. We got a big 150-year uh, party. What? What? What's 150 years? What, like diamond or gem? What's What's the the mark there? I think it's double diamond. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so, who is the the Dallas Bar Association? So the Dallas Bar Association is 11,000-plus members strong, and we uh, have about fifteen or 16,000 lawyers in Dallas County, and we have more than 11,000 in the Dallas Bar Association. So it's a voluntary bar. Uh, don't have to join it, but we give our members uh, great value, and, and they love it. And we're not only in Dallas, but... Surrounding communities, uh, Irving, Garland, Mesquite, Frisco, uh, elsewhere in Collin County. And interesting, since the pandemic started, we've started getting members from all over the state who are using our virtual resources to get their uh, continuing legal education requirements. So we're, we're expanding our brand through this unusual and difficult time. What, what do you do in your role as the president uh, of Dallas Bar? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, So my role as president, I more or less oversee everything that goes on in the Dallas Bar. We have a wonderful staff, and our executive director is Alicia Hernandez, who uh, basically makes sure all the trains run on time and everything functions smoothly. And, you know, I oversee the financial, I oversee a lot of the uh, continuing legal education programs and other community programs that we do just to make sure 
everything's functioning, and obviously I'm the complaint center whenever somebody has a gripe. So. <laughs> and that never happens, right? Well, you know, it does happen every once in a while, believe it or not. With 11,000 strong-minded uh, uh, lawyers as your members, you do have some hot sports opinions, as they like to say, that come up from time to time. So, uh, But we try to deal with those, and, and people have good ideas and good suggestions, and we're, we're always uh, wanting to improve what we do any way we can. I don't know, Robert. I don't think anyone ever complains. I don't know. Uh, you you might be in a different world. I'm just kidding. Now, uh, the the Dallas Bar has a, a bunch of sections and committees. Uh, wh- what can you share with us about what what you all do as far as it pertains to those sections and committees and, and programs? So, uh, last year we did more than 400 uh, programs for our members on various aspects of continuing legal education. This year, since the pandemic started, we've done more than 200. So that's about seven months. So we've been doing about 30 or 40 uh, presentations every month. So we have 30 sections, and those are sections like family, probate, criminal, trials, health law, intellectual property, international law, corporate security, pretty much substantive legal areas of practice will have sections and those sections will put on programs that are of interest to their particular members like the tax law section will talk about tax laws which is of interest to all the tax lawyers out there as by way of example the other thing that we've got are 29 committees and the committees are real varied they they do provide service to the legal community but they also provide service to the community at large. Uh, we annually have a, a program called Bar None, and it's a legal variety show and uh, really well-written and well-performed by a bunch of uh, lawyers who are actor wannabes and, and may, <laughs> may have been some actors at one point in their careers. And uh, that... The proceeds from that show, which is always at the Greer Garson Theater at SMU, benefit uh, what we call the Sarah T. Hughes Diversity Scholarship. So it helps uh, young minority law students get their start, and we're real proud of that. Unfortunately, this year with the pandemic, it's the one thing that we couldn't do this year, and and that's a bit of a loss. But we hope we'll, that in 2021 that, that will come back the way it always has been. Uh, we've got a community involvement committee, which has been in, in charge of uh, charity drives and day of service in the community. Uh, this year we did a charity challenge, uh, which was a little different. The day of service in the community seemed a little bit difficult with the pandemic and social distancing and mask requirements. So we we did a kind of a variation on March Madness and had our members nominate charities to be in the tournament bracket, so to speak, and then narrowed it to uh, a round of 16, a round of eight, a round of four, and then the final two wound up uh, dividing the proceeds 80-20. And we just announced that a few days ago. So that was very successful. Uh, We've got a criminal and juvenile justice committees, and they are out there trying to help uh, people in the criminal justice system, uh, very, very difficult. Uh, juvenile justice is an area that really does need a lot of reform. Uh, it's tough when kids get caught up in the legal system and 
uh, oftentimes, you know, steps can be taken to sort of turn them around and, and make them productive members of society at an early age. Uh, we found, I think, that when juveniles get caught up in the legal system and wind up incarcerated or, or in detention, that a lot of times it just turns them the wrong way and, and we lose them as productive citizens. So that committee is in charge of trying to make a difference in that regard and um, they do a good job. And we've got a fee disputes committee that, you know, when people hire a lawyer and they have a dispute over the fees, we've got a committee that's set up to uh, sort of work those out with our uh, uh, member lawyers and the members of the community. We've got a home project committee. We build a house every year in, in connection with uh, Habitat for Humanity, uh, President Carter's uh, initiative from years ago. So every year we build a house, and a couple of years ago we built two houses. So uh, really pretty neat, and it's really key. It's just very, very cool to turn over the keys to that new homeowner who otherwise would really not have had an opportunity to kind of enjoy and participate in the American dream with, with home ownership. So we just did that uh, really about two weeks ago. We turned over the keys, so that was really cool. We've got a law in the schools committee where we go out to uh, high schools and uh, and elementary and, and middle schools even to educate uh, school students about what it means to be a lawyer and, and teach them about uh, the process, uh, government process, so that they learn a little bit of civics because civics is not taught in schools anymore. You know, when probably you and I went to high school, that was a required course, and they don't they don't mandate that here in 2020. So that that committee is busy trying to to make a difference with the education of of our school students. We have a legal lines committee where people call in with problems, you know, various types of problems, and we have lawyers on standby who field their calls and answer them and uh, give them advice about how to handle their situation, and it's free of charge to do that. So that's a nice service. Um, we do a high school mock trial program, which is really pretty cool. We, uh, we have... Uh, 24 participating schools in Dallas County. We've got a private school division. And then we've got like a state mock trial program where, where uh, you know, we get schools from Houston, San Antonio, Austin, El Paso, Fort Worth. All over the state, they send their best teams up here. We have a tournament at the courthouse every year. And I tell you, Jared, some of these kids – They've really got the they've got the mojo. They are really really good. A lot of them, and uh, they're coached by generally by lawyers or judges. Will coach these schools, and um, you see these kids, and you really feel good about what the future holds because they are really really bright and and they're energetic, and you just love to see that. So that tournament is every year around the beginning of the year. So we'll be starting that probably in January. It may be virtual this year instead of in person at the courthouse, but we're going to make it work one way or the other. We have a peer assistance committee, and that's a real serious committee for us. Uh, that uh, deals with uh, problems that lawyers have. Uh, you know, 
it's a stressful profession. Uh, we, we hear people's problems all the time. We have pressure from the courts. We have pressure from opposing counsel. And, and stresses of practicing law are, are pretty significant. And statistically, unfortunately, uh, lawyers have a much higher incidence rate of alcohol and substance abuse problems. Uh, depression problems are far greater in the legal community than they are in the community at large. And uh, our suicide rate's a lot higher than other professions. So that's a real serious problem. Uh, it's obviously made worse by the pandemic uh, with the stresses that all of us feel from being sheltered in place and and job loss and other issues out there. So that peer assistance committee is there to help. Uh, we've had some really moving programs by uh, lawyers who have told their stories about what they've been through, their journeys through mental illness and, and hospitalizations and, and troubles that they've had in their lives. And it's made a difference to a lot of people. It's given them the inspiration to go out and get help as need be. It's helped them, uh, you know, report a friend who may be in need. And uh, it's it's a program that's done a lot of good for a lot of folks. And um, for those of who, you who are listening out there, you know, this pandemic has been rough on everybody. And it's caused a lot of problems in the community at large with, with uh, depression and other other problems and the advice is to get help you know it's it's out there it's available uh it's not just for lawyers it's for everybody and it's real important to get help if you're suffering or you know somebody who's suffering at this time so uh that those resources are there for people Lastly, I want to We're talking with Robert Toby, the president of Dallas Bar, and, and one of the, the services you mentioned, the I believe, is the legal line, which I think is a really neat service. Uh, you know, ho- hopefully you're not in this position, but I know that ine- inevitably people are going to be in the position of, you know, I don't know where to turn. I think that there needs to be some legal involvement here, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, and this is a free service that can point you in the right direction. And, and my understanding is this is not a way to drum up business. You're not going to talk to a lawyer who, you know, you got to now take them on and, and start paying them. They're just going to provide some some free guidance and point you in the right direction. It, it seems like a really valuable service that people should know about. It's critical, Jared, and, and especially during the pandemic. I mean, the, the first thing we expected during the pandemic was just a flood of evictions. Uh, there have been various moratoriums put in place by, you know, locals, state and federal governments to prevent that from happening. But you can imagine if you're a tenant and you've lost your job and you can't afford to pay your rent, uh, you got to be wondering what's next. You know, I've got to have a place to live. And so Legal Lines is there. People can call Legal Lines and the resources there will point them in the right direction in terms of what it is they can and can't do. We've got other services too. We've got a lawyer referral service that uh, enables those who are with some means but not, you know, wealthy enough necessarily to pay a lawyer full freight uh, to go litigate for them. But what legal, what the lawyer referral service does is you get uh, a 30-minute consultation at a very, very greatly reduced rate. Uh, 
And then the lawyer and the potential client can decide if they want to continue forward with the representation, or if not, they don't. So that's two areas we've got. We've got a third area that is very important, Jared, and that is our Dallas Volunteer Attorney Program. So let me give you a couple of statistics. There's about 2.5 million people live in Dallas County. 25%, that's about 600-plus thousand people, live below the federal poverty line. And if you think about that, that is a huge number of people who can barely afford to put food on the table and have a roof over their heads and the heads of their children. So the Dallas Volunteer Appearing Program is a partnership between the Dallas Bar Association and Legal Aid of Northwest Texas. And basically it's set up for people to get free legal services. You have to qualify. You have to be one of that a member of that 25% that's below the federal poverty line to get help. But if you do qualify, uh, a Dallas Volunteer Attorney Program attorney will represent the client. Most of the calls we get are for family law, you know, trying to finish a divorce or have a divorce, child custody issues, uh, unfortunately domestic violence issues are very um, pervasive. They happen a lot. Uh, we help them with landlord-tenant issues, uh, wills, do wills for people. And so those clinics have gone virtual. We had clinics all over uh, the city until March when the pandemic hit. We had shelter-in-place orders entered. The, the clinics have now become virtual. So they are available. They're out there. Lawyers are still helping people. And, in fact, there's actually a little more flexibility in terms of lawyers being able to help people when you don't necessarily have to do it when a clinic is scheduled at a certain time. People can call back at any time and try to help folks out. So that is a service that's out there. Um, every year we do a campaign for uh, the Dallas Volunteer Attorney Program. We call it the Campaign for Equal Access. It's going on right now. Uh, for the past six years, we've been successful in raising over a million dollars each year for the campaign, and that keeps the lights on, that keeps uh, the staff paid, uh, and that keeps all the expenses paid uh, for this program to function. And we help thousands of people every year in the community, and we're very proud of that. And we're working on ways to try to expand that, and I think once we get past the pandemic, um, we'll be able to couple not only the virtual clinics that we've been running, but actually bring back our physical clinics and have enhanced services for the community with both a, a physical and a virtual component. So we're excited about what the future holds, and uh, we're working towards that. And we'll get past this pandemic in a few months, and I think that'll it will really help everybody out once we are. I, we're talking with Robert Toby, the president of the Dallas Bar. Uh, Robert, I understand there are, are sister or affiliated bar associations. What can you tell me about them? Yeah, so we've got several affiliated bars, and we work closely with them. We have uh, the J.L. Turner Legal Association. That's the African-American Bar Association. 
They've got about 300 members and do a lot of wonderful things in the community as well. There's the Dallas Women Lawyers Association. They've got about 500 lawyers, and their focus is obviously primarily uh, issues in the legal community that directly impact women for the most part. We have the Dallas Association of Young Lawyers, and they uh, have about 3,000 members, so generally lawyers up to age 36. Uh, so they're a very large bar association, and they do a tremendous amount both internally for their members and for the community at large. Uh, we also have the Dallas Asian American Bar Association that has about 300 members. Uh, again, that's geared primarily towards the Asian American Bar in Dallas, and there's a, a lot of members there. We have the Dallas Hispanic Bar Association with about 300 members, and uh, they're out doing great things in the community, uh, certainly a lot. Right now they're very busy with the election season in full force and early voting ongoing. Uh, they are doing a whole lot in that area. Work a lot on the immigration issues that impact the legal community. Uh, they're very involved in that. And just last week our board voted to admit uh, a board seat to the Dallas LGBT Bar Association. So. They're uh, a rapidly growing uh, group in Dallas, and we're proud to be associated with them and growing uh, that bar uh, to be a much bigger bar association. And we're looking forward to a great partnership with that bar association as well. And every one of these bar associations is doing great things in the community, and, and uh, you probably will not have any trouble finding uh, – in any sort of community activity, one of those bar associations being involved in some way. And uh, we work with them, and, and they've been great partners with us and doing the things we do in the community. And so we're, we're uh, always out to strengthen those ties and, and support all the things they're doing. Robert, obviously, and, and you've referenced the pandemic, and everyone's been impacted by this Uh when the pandemic shut down the, the bar association's home at uh, the, the Dallas bar association mansion and pavilion uh, shut down, what did you all do in response to that? So Jared, I tell you, we've, we've got a great building down on Ross Avenue and we've been proud of it. We've always been centered on that. I mean, it's a central gathering place from lawyers, North, South, East and West in the, in the Metro area. And we had to shut down. Same day the NBA shut down, we shut down, March the 12th. And um, we have not really reopened since then. So um, we did a very quick pivot. Within 10 days, we went from being a very physical bar centered with our building to a virtual bar. And we started putting on uh, uh, programs for our members at first, they were really centered on the COVID crisis and, and everything that was uh, impacting in the legal community and pretty much every aspect of the legal community as well as every aspect of society at large was impacted by COVID. And uh, so we started providing those services. We provided resources. Uh, we, we got mental health resources out to our members because obviously you talk about the stress of being a lawyer, you talk about the stress of COVID added on top of it. Uh, it was a tremendously difficult time. We also uh, 
went out to the community and started providing uh, resources, money, supplies to the North Texas Food Bank and a lot of other charities uh, in the Dallas area that obviously were greatly impacted by the pandemic and the tremendous need that the pandemic brought on amongst so many people in our in our community. So uh, we've jumped right on that. Uh, some other things that we've done, um, we besides charity drives, we did a specific drive for first responders because obviously when the pandemic hit, the first responders, the police, the firefighters, the emergency workers, the nurses, they all were impacted disproportionately by by COVID and their exposure to the virus and everything they were doing to try to help help the community. So we did a uh, a clinic basically where we've made resources available to them for wills, for other state planning documents that they need, and those resources have been utilized by hundreds of people. We just really surprised by kind of the outpouring of demand there. And uh, that's been very gratifying that we were able to help people do that. Uh, When Congress passed what they called the CARES Act, uh, where people were able to get, you know, some relief, $1,200, we had law firms that would help people fill out the paperwork for that, because some of it's pretty complicated. And uh, we were able to get those clinics running very quickly to help them out with that. And so that's kind of the, when it first started, and then the needs changed over time as, as you know, when we shut the building down, our original reopening date was April 1st. Well, after a few days, it was pretty clear April 1st wasn't going to, be the day we reopened our building. This thing was going to be a long-term thing, and needs changed as we got further and deeper into the pandemic. Robert, I'm curious, what are some of the other things? I mean, the bar, is, as, as people have learned just in, in listening to you detail all the services, committees, programs, there, there's so much. What are some other things maybe we haven't covered that it's it will be important or is important for people to be aware of. So the thing that happened next that was, I guess, most impactful uh, was the George Floyd. And when George Floyd was killed, everything changed, uh, not only with the Dallas Bar, but in society in general, where there was a, a period of tremendous social unrest during the summer. We looked at it, obviously, we as lawyers, we look at the criminal justice system, we look at how people are disproportionately impacted based on race in a way that's wrongful. We look at the issues of systemic racism, which are pervasive throughout the community. And I made a decision uh, after speaking with Coy Spurlock, who's president of the J.L. Turner Legal Association, the African-American bar that I just described, that we were going to do more than just pass a resolution saying we condemn this sort of of activity, we decided we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a change. We're going to get involved. We're going to start doing something, and we're not going to stop. And and we've seen in past incidents over the last few years, there's a tremendous amount of momentum, and then it dies. This time is different, I think, and, and we're going to make it different. We've 
set up what we've called the Allied Dallas Bars Equality Task Force. And what we're doing there is the Dallas Bar and all of the affiliated sister bars have gotten together and decided that we are going to tackle this problem of criminal justice and systemic racism, and we're going to try to make a difference, and we're going to try to make things better. Nobody's naive enough to think that it's going to be fixed anytime soon, not not in 2020 or 2021, or probably not before I die, frankly. But we're going to start, and we're going to try to make a difference through various programs in the community by educating uh, our membership in terms of where the problems are and, and what we need to do to try to make a difference. But we've got a program now called Together We Can, and that's being put on by Project Unity. Uh, Pastor Richie Butler of St. Luke's United Methodist Church uh, is kind of the, the founder of that, and we're a partner in it. And Together We Can is designed to have people get together to spend time with people who are different than they are, whether it's by race, by income, by socioeconomic uh, standards, or whatever they might be, but to bridge that gap and to build understanding and to let people know we're much more alike than we're different. And with these sorts of conversations, we believe we can build on the aftermath of George Floyd, the understanding that we've seen in the NBA and other sports leagues, Major League Baseball, the NFL finally, uh, and the NHL, for example, have all uh, pushed forward on the issue of racial equality. And that's something we're going to continue to march forward with as a bar association and our sister bars. And we are working right now on our call to action, which will be put in place, I hope, by January 1st of next year. And we'll start tackling all the things that are on our list of things to do. So that's our big project going forward, Jared. It's, like I say, a long-term project and one that we're going to work steadily and consistently to try to make happen. Well, Robert, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for all your work with the Dallas Bar uh, as the president, your work as an attorney, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate it, Jared. Thanks for all your time, and thanks for having me. All right, well, now it's time to chat with the executive director of Raise Texas, Woody Weedrow. And, Woody, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Woody, let's start with uh, with Raise Texas and, and simply what Raise Texas is all about. Well, what can you share with us about this organization? Well, Raise Texas is a, it's a statewide nonprofit asset-building organization that was the first nonprofit statewide asset-building co- coalition created in, in the United States and when we created it in 2007. And the second thing is, it's called Raise Texas, but the initials stand for what we consider the five pillars of financial stability, resources, assets, investment, savings, and education. And the the mission of Raise Texas, uh, I know, is to provide assistance in, in so many ways. What, what can you share with us about the mission? Our mission is to get people to become financially successful and economically stable 
So what happens is, is how do you move people along a path so that they are financially stable in the present and in the future? Uh, the website, by the way, if you're tuning in, racetexas.org, uh, all the information that we cover will be on the website. So if you miss something, if uh, you, you didn't catch something, if you're uh, joining us in the middle, uh, raisetexas.org, or if you've got to step away, again, it's pretty simple, raisetexas.org. Uh, Woody, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, discuss the dollars for college program. What can you share with us about that? Well... In looking at research, we found that anywhere from two-thirds to three-fourths of the jobs in Texas and specifically in the DFW area, you need some type of post-secondary degree of certification. So whether it's a four-year college or a two-year college or some type of certification, that the good-paying jobs are necessary um, to move forward and, and to be able to pay all your bills. And we found that in the greater Dallas area that too many students uh, were not graduating from high school or if they were graduating from high school were not going to post-secondary. And so um, after a number of years of research, we, we've created this program called Dollars for College. Um, our lead partner is the United Way of Metropolitan Dallas. And, and what we found in some of the research is that if you have as little as $500 in a savings account, you're three to four times more likely to go to college um, and four to five times more likely to actually complete um, a, a college degree. And so um, the United Way of Metropolitan Dallas has partnered. Um, we've just started a, a pre pandemic in two school districts, in the Lancaster Independent School District and the Richardson School District. And our goal is what would happen if every child in Dallas and Texas had a savings account in their name towards college? How much would that change the attitude and perception about going to college? And so we're in the early stages of this, and uh, we have some promising findings, um, and if anybody is interested, they could uh, send us an email. Um, we can get them in touch with what's going on with our partner at the United Way. But it's basically to say is how do we increase the number of Texans or DFW residents who have a post-secondary degree or certification? We're talking with Woody Weedrow of Race Texas. Uh what, do you, what, what about just financial coaching in general? I know that's one of the resources provided and offered uh, by Race Texas. It, it seems like, uh, you know, that is always valuable, no matter who you are and in what stage of life. So what, what can you share with us about the financial coaching? Yeah. So basically um, what financial coaching is, is, is a way, whether, you know, there's football, co there's a lot of coaches out there, but we're finding that a lot of people need some assistance in helping them reach a goal. And so what financial coaching does, it helps people, the general things we found that people need a financial coach for, increasing savings, decreasing debt, um, building a good credit score, could be to buy a home, or it could be other type of savings goals that they have. 
And so there are trained financial coaches in Texas, um, in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and in most cases it's for free, who help people as what their aspirations are. I mean, if you ask most people, like for instance, do you want to save? They say yes, but there is a disconnect between what they talk about and what they actually do. And so financial coaches are trained to help facilitate the process um, and the perception that a lot of the goals that people can, that are aspire to do can, can be actualized. And the other big thing is financial coaching. We've had to pivot a little bit because one of the big changes that's in everybody's life now is COVID-19. And so beyond these longer-term goals that our financial coaches are being trained to deal with short-term emergencies also and helping people navigate through the complexities um, of dealing with short-term needs before we can actually then help them uh, get into the long-term goals. Woody, not to uh, have an entire coaching session right now, but I'm just curious, what are some of the basic uh, elements, uh, pieces of advice, principles that, that you think people should know that uh, are worth sharing? Yeah. So, so um, for people who aren't as much in a crisis, what we try to do is help them understand their budget to go through. We found that most people can save. Um, I mean, clearly, if you're homeless and, and very, very, very low income, they can't. But most of people in the DFW area can save. And so we help them develop a budget. And, and some of the things you can look at, you know, for instance, if your rent is $1,200 or $900, you can't say this month I'm going to pay 850 So there are some fixed costs. But there are other things that you're trying to help people. So they may go get a Starbucks coffee three, three times a week. We're at, we ask them to track those types of things, and those are more discretionary, and it's not a value judgment, but it's more for them to get a handle on it. So if they did that instead of three times a week, twice a week, or went out to lunch or, other, or made other decisions and put it in with their goal, if their goal is, you know, to go on a dream vacation or their goal is to start um, saving to buy a home or it's just to have an emergency savings, we try to work with them that whatever their goal is and then try to help them navigate through all the various mechanisms so that they're able to reach um, their goal. You know, Woody, one thing that strikes me, and and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but uh, one of the challenges in being disciplined with your spending sometimes is, is I guess the surrounding environment and maybe you, you're friends with people who don't have the same restrictions or they don't need to be as disciplined. And, uh, I, I don't know. It just seems like sometimes that can be a challenge and it's not your fault that you've got a friend that, uh, you know, is, is, you know, maybe more financially stable or a different point of his or her life. Uh, but sometimes it, it can be a challenge to uh, proceed with, uh, you know, the, the normal activities uh, of that friendship when you guys are on different levels financially for that given time. Yeah, you've perfectly said some of the, right. So those are when you ask people if they should save. Right, it's 
it's a complex situation of behavior, and there are a lot of external things. So what the coach is always trying to do is sort of assist them in talking it through that at some point they have to just say, this is my life, this is my goal, and, and how do you talk to friends? You know, like if your friends say, let's go out to eat, and you're always saying yes, and you go out to expensive ones, at some point you may have to say, um, can we go to this place? I have a, I have a goal of, of buying a home, and so I have to put money into that. I want to sh- spend time with you, but it's a way so that you don't feel guilty, and it's a way um, that you don't lose your friends. But it, the coach, what the coach does is to keep you on track and, and, and not uh, lose track of what you're doing. And if you have a slight setback, to keep them going and stuff, because what will happen is when people get discouraged, they stop doing it. So what the coach is, is a motivator and a way to convince people that – you can succeed. Um, it, there'll, there'll be roadblocks in the way. There'll be other things. But as long as you stay on your path, you'll be more likely to be successful and feel better in the long run. Uh, we're talking with Woody Weidro, the executive director of Race Texas. Uh, before we continue with some of the services, Woody, what, what are your responsibilities in your role as the executive director? What, what are some of the things that you're responsible for? Um, so... I create the vision for the organization. Um, I, I help fundraise since nonprofits. Basically, how they raise money is through uh, grants or fees or other ways. Um, we have a board of directors that includes people such as from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, J.P. Morgan, um, United Ways of Texas, um, and other entities. Um, and so, and then. We have a number of partners, so I'm always looking to create partnerships between Raise Texas since we are a statewide entity, and so we work with a lot of local groups on the ground and try to help them figure out how to move forward um, with the programs to serve the clients that uh, are in need of financial education and financial information. Woody, you mentioned fundraising. That's uh it's such a vital part of all of this. Uh, what are ways people can contribute, uh, whether it's through financial uh, assistance or maybe time? How can people be a part of Race Texas in a volunteer or, or fundraising capacity? Um, well, basically, if you go to our website, there is ways to donate to what we're doing Um in terms of their interest in volunteering, most of what we do, we then we talk to our local partners. Since we're a statewide entity, our goal is to, we're as strong as our local members. And so we have a lot of uh, local members in the DFW area. And so if somebody wants to get more engaged in what's going on in your area, we could then let them know who's a good, who are potential partners that are working in the same field and whether or not they need uh, funds or whether or not there are potential opportunities to volunteer and assist. Um, A lot of our groups do things like free tax preparation. And so people are trained to help people. Um, It's not, we're not against paid tax preparers, but for many of the people we work with, they have a simple form. 
and they don't need to pay some, uh, a pay tax preparer in order to get their taxes done. And so that's one type of example that a number of our groups who, who help out uh, have volunteers. Woody Weedrow joining us here, the executive director of Raise Texas. Uh, all right, Woody, you know, one of the, the first lessons that, you know, a parent or someone will try and impress upon uh, a youngster is, is a rainy day fund or, or saving money for, you know, those 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 moments in life where things maybe don't go uh, as planned or, or catastrophes, what have you. And uh, unfortunately, there was one that we're still dealing with that that impacted millions. And that's uh, obviously the pandemic. Uh, and that's certainly shown, you know, not that this is a, a benefit of it, but it has demonstrated the importance of, of saving for emergencies. Uh, and I know that Race Texas launched the Roadmap to Financial Resilience Initiative. What can you share with us about that? Right. So we were working on this before the pandemic, but basically everybody is going to have an unanticipated expense. And um, whether it's um, more of an individual or family, my car breaks down, I have a medical emergency, um, a situation occurs, you know, I'm a homeowner, and my, uh, I have a problem with my roof or plumbing and stuff, that we found that a lot of individuals um, did not have a necessary amount of money to weather that crisis, and a lot of times they had to go to a high-cost um, alternative that was way more expensive and didn't solve the problem. So we have on one set, a more individual or family. The second set is more of within a community. And, and the larger ones are a major employer shuts down. But other ones, specifically like to Texas, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and, and like what we're now seeing, wildfires and other things. Where it's, and again, in those situations, they're both, in both of those, they're more of a short-term type of thing. But if you don't have an emergency savings, $500 or $1,000, you're going to wind up uh, in, in a crisis. And, and the crisis may be short-term, but it could spiral into long-term. So we were working on that in the beginning of this year, and then the pandemic happened. And so the, the transformation with it is, instead of it being a family or a part of, of, of a state, it's the whole country, actually the whole world, but the whole country. And that what we were finding that you just, all you had to look at, that when the pandemic had, just look at the number of people who went to the food bank. It showed to us that most of those people did not have an emergency savings account to deal with the first part of it. Um, and so what we've created, and we're starting to work on it, we're calling it the Roadmap to Financial Resilience Initiative. And what we say, there are three different steps. Some people may be in step one, some people may be in step two, some people may be in step three, some people may be in step three and then wind up back in step one. But step one is called Achieving Short-Term Financial Stability, which is all that we know is all the people who are needing money immediately for food, um, for rent, 
for their basic needs and that the public sector is, you know, we don't have food, they don't have food stamps or anything like that. We need to be able to stabilize them in the short term. If we're able to stabilize them in the short term, then the second one is achieving income stability, which is the things I was talking about, like with children's savings account or other things, is that we're working with the workforce development boards and things like that for individuals who either lost their job or are in a low-paying job, how do, we create, how do we look at what kind of training or certification can they get into to get into better-paying jobs? And so we're starting to look at that second phase. And then if we're able to help people with their short-term or help achieve income stability, then it's the emergency savings. What we're also finding is, is that if people get more income, it doesn't mean they become more financially stable because spending habits, they just may increase their spending habits. And so that's where the financial coaching and, and products come in. We're hoping that, if, that when people achieve their income stability, financial coaches and others could work with individuals. We could work with employers. We're starting to work with employers about a financial wellness in the workplace and trying to get more and more employers to do um, payroll deductions into emergency savings accounts or splitting retirement, uh, money that goes into retirement that the first set of it goes into emergency savings and the second thing goes into retirement. And so it's creating this roadmap, and, and, and it's not linear, but you, if you're in step one, you, you have to do step one to step two to step three. And as I said, some people may be in step two, some people may be in step three, but, it is, but it's a way for people, for people, communities, and public sector to understand how we see getting people to the point that they're more financially resilient. Woody, you know, gosh, you know, the, these hearing you lay all of that out is a, a reminder of the importance of this for one, uh, the, the, the challenges of all of this uh, and, and how mentally draining it can be how mentally taxing it can be when you you've got varying degrees of financial challenges what from a mental side what what advice do you have for people just to take a step back it's going to be okay uh here here's the plan or, or what can you share with someone perhaps who's listening who is stressed over their their financial situation and, and maybe reassuring that there there are ways out of this. There are, there are roadmaps to a better situation. Yeah, I mean, just so as a side thing, when, you know, for our financial coaching, we actually brought in people who deal with mental health because financial coaches in the past have dealt with people who are trying to reach goals. So during the crisis, we started to talk about how do you deal with people who are in the crisis stage? The reality of it is most people can get out of it. It takes time. Um, there are resources in many cases out there during the crisis side. Or you have to look at you know, the food banks, um, emer emergency funds for utilities. There are a number of, of support mechanisms. Not enough. I think Texas is not doing as well as some other states in terms of basic need things. But a lot of more uh, nonprofits, um, churches, and other types of entities 
have support in place to get you through the immediate crisis. What you then need to do is figure out that, that roadmap. And I can tell you that there are many people, you know, rather than this, you know, the one person that they always highlight to basically say, you know, the rags to riches and, you know, they, we have seen many, many people who were very low income and in a crisis and in five years were able to buy a home. And so basically, knowing that you might have to make some sacrifices, but there are ways to move forward for most individuals. Um, and so it's a, it's a very slow process. And, and the other thing I always tell people, if it was easy to do, somebody would have created this program and it would have happened. This is not easy to do, but you're likely to succeed as long as you have um, financial coaches or other people helping you think through how to move forward and understanding that it isn't perfect, that there'll be setbacks, and that's okay, that at some point another crisis could happen. So it might slow down the process, but, uh, but if you can stay on what your goal is, um, you have a good possibility of succeeding. We're talking with Woody Weedrow, the executive director of Raise Texas, an outstanding organization that uh, is, you know, something that it provides services and resources that, that apply to so many on the financial side. Uh, RaiseTexas.org is the website. Again, that's RaiseTexas.org. If you're joining in late or whatever the case might be, you missed something, you got to step away. Uh, the information can all be found there. Uh, we, we were talking about... Uh, we're, we're talking about, uh, or you just mentioned Texas, Woody, and, and you know, kind of indirectly comparing Texas to maybe other parts of the country. What are, what are some financial things specific to Texas? You always hear about the no state income tax, but what are some things that stand out to you about the financial side in combined with, you know, living in and, and being in the state of Texas? Yeah, so a number of policies that we've been trying to work on, one is the thing it's called asset limits. And so basically for certain types of state benefits, it's based not only on your income, but how much money like you have in assets, like your savings. And so we've been trying to get that removed because what happens is if we're encouraging people to save and, and they're getting certain types of benefits, um, and what happens is we take away the benefits then basically they're going to have to use their savings. And so what we're trying to do is create more of a, a platform. When a crisis, you know, when people need to apply for certain benefits, um, we want to encourage them to save and get to a point where they then don't need those benefits um, rather than penalizing them too early. Um, and I think the other things are, you know, we want to expand uh, Medicaid to a lot more people the big crisis that we're finding, you know, is lack of health insurance has a major negative impact on financial decision-making and financial matters. So when we say basic needs, um, what we're hoping that in Texas, that the goal of it is in the short run that we provide the funding for people to get through that, what we were saying, that first stage, short-term financial stability. If we can make more and more people get to short-term financial stability, 
then I think we can get to the income stability and creating the emergency savings account because most people, I won't say all, but most people want to be financially successful. Um, do not want to rely on public sector, do not want to rely on their friends and families. They want to control their own finances. So most people want to do that. And so the, what our goal is, if that's your aspiration, let's try to figure out how to make it possible. And when there are challenges along the way and they still want to do it, that sometimes, whether it's a nonprofit or the public sector, provides resources to get them through that short-term crisis so they can move and become financially independent. Uh, Woody, uh, I know there's an initiative, uh, the, the Race Texas Virtual Action Summit, uh, that's uh, coming up in November. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so every two years we've been doing summits. To tr it's an action summit, which means that even though it was designed for people to learn things, it's to get activism going on in your community. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, this will be our first one, and hopefully the last one, that will be virtual. Um, our, our partner is the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, and we, it's the morning of November 5th and November 6th, we will be highlighting those three stages that I referred to you with uh, speakers and panelists, uh, either nationally or from Texas, talking about all of those. And then in between each of those panels, we will be going into a breakout discussions in which people will be talking about what's going on in my community, which of those things I need to work on, are there partners working on this, with the goal of it by... Uh, the the end of this summit on the second day, so it's like it's like from nine to twelve thirty on each of the days um, to basically then start asking people, do you want to move forward within your community? And we would try to help facilitate those activities. Whether it's, for instance, what would uh, I'll pick a uh, I'll pick a Dallas for instance. What would it look like if instead of 40% of the people had emergency savings. It was 70%. And out of that, it was much more low-income people. How would that help not only the family, but how would it help the impact of the community? Because one of the things we found that during the crisis, whether it was, you know, when we've had the flooding or tornadoes um, or now with the pandemic, during the crisis, there's been a great outpouring of support from nonprofits, from foundations, from local government, from county government, state government, and even the federal government. And so, but once we get to a certain part of what I would call the recovery and rebuild, it switches and, it, and people just then assume that it becomes an individual responsibility. And what I would counter that and say, yes, it is an individual, but there is a community part of it. The more people that are financially resilient, they'll have more money to spend in their community. They will not need as much of the social services. So it could be a win-win situation. Um, and so what we try to talk about is how to make it that a community wants to help people, whether it's to buy homes, um, 
to increase their savings or other things make it seem more of a community thing than that's the individual's responsibility. Woody, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for all you do with Race Texas, uh, and, and thanks so much for joining us here this morning. Great. Well, there you go. That's going to do it for us here this morning. I'm Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. want to thank all of you for joining us. want to thank uh, our guests, Robert Toby, the president of the Dallas Bar Association, as well as Woody Weedrow of Rays, Texas. Uh, a lot of great information shared by both. And, and remember, that legal line for the Dallas Bar Association, uh, you can find all that information online, but a great resource for people if they don't know where to turn uh, from a legal standpoint. DallasBar.org is the website. Uh, and then for Raise Texas, offering so much in the way of financial coaching and, and support, RaiseTexas.org, RaiseTexas.org, uh, to learn about how you can uh, take part in, in their services and benefit, or you know, for both uh, the Dallas Bar and for Race Texas, ways to give back and help support them as they do work in the community. Well, again, that's going to do it for us. Uh, once more, my name's Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. We really appreciate you getting up early with us. Be sure to tune in next week uh, as we continue to focus on organizations doing great things in the community right here on Better Living. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.